0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history this week on the agenda. going to be having a chat about the Erfurt Latrine Disaster, which was a disaster that took place in Erfurt and involved, can you guess, that's right, a latrine. Back in the late uh, 12th century, land feuds were a very popular way for, for nobles in the, in the Holy Roman Empire to pass the time. And one in particular got so heated that the emperor's son, Henry VI, had to intervene. Now, he invited everyone uh, involved in this feud, along with a fair few others who just, you know, wanted a good show. He invited them to St. Peter's Church in Erfurt to sort it all out. And uh, this meeting took place above a latrine. not in a, He didn't hold this, uh, you know, this uh, this meeting in the latrine itself, but he held it in a room above a latrine. And, uh, I mean, look, you know what uh, medieval building codes were like. They were essentially non-existent. And you can probably very well imagine what happened next. And if you can't, well, don't worry, because I'm here to tell you. And look, more than anything else, really, when it comes to this episode, I've been a little concerned in recent weeks that Half Us History, you know, has, has been getting a little highbrow. We've talked about this in the past, you know, lose the, the podcast losing its way here. We've been dealing with more, you know, more serious historical topics and getting away from what from what really matters, you know, which obviously is stories that involve a lot of wheeze and poos and farts and bums. And that's why I'm very pleased and very proud to present an episode that harks back to the good old days of the podcast. And as ever, before we get underway with an episode like this, of course, got to do the content warning. This story is all about toilets and the disgusting things that you do while using them, so... For those that might be listening with small children, make sure that you turn it up so they can hear how exactly how gross and disgusting it all was. So let's get to it here. Let's get underway and talk about the Erfurt Latrine Disaster. We'll set the stage, then we'll go and talk about what actually happened in the church on that fateful day. Here we go. So we're going all the way back here, going all, going all the way back to 1184. When this terrible tragedy took place, well, actually, no. Let's go back further. We'll go. We'll go back further, as I say, to set the scene here. We'll talk about the major players in this event. First and foremost, there's a bloke whose name is Henry of Hohenstaufen. Now, he's quite a famous fella. He's the son of, uh, of Frederick Barbarossa, born in 1165. He was given the title King of the Romans. Actually, just the King of Germany. The King of the Romans was the title given to the King of Germany. Anyway, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? But he's 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 a king at the age of four. Uh, uh, his dad gave him. This, his dad, the Emperor, gave him this title when he was just a small kid um and so he's known as henry the uh, henry the 6th and spent uh, much of his young years off campaigning with his old man but still very well educated in in law he was a talented poet as well and uh, in time he went on to become the holy roman Empire, emperor himself after the death of his old man but that's another story altogether um interestingly we've actually talked about henry the 6th before uh, very alert listeners extremely alert, alert listeners will know that uh, in in episode 134 when we talked about eleanor of aquitaine Uh, how she had to raise an enormous amount of money to pay for the ransom of her son, Richard, uh, Richard the Lionheart. He was the prisoner of the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. And that Holy Roman Emperor was none other than this, Henry VI, although that happened, you know, a long time after today's story. So today we're talking about Henry VI, King of the Romans, King of Germany, whatever you want to call him, um, uh, before he becomes the Holy Roman Emperor. And in addition to him, there are two other blokes you need to know about. There's Ludwig III, who is the landgrave of uh, Thuringia. And there is Archbishop Conrad of Mainz, right? Now, these two, they are the ones involved in this land feud, uh, involved fighting over some land in the Holy Roman Empire, as I say, extremely normal back then. I don't know if you've i don't know if you've ever seen a map of the internal divisions of the Holy Roman Empire, but I'll tell you what, it is an absolute... You, you wouldn't believe it. In fact, you know what? So, if you can, right now, go to the Wikipedia page titled list of states in the holy roman empire so not the holy roman, roman empire uh, site itself a uh, page itself but if you go to one that's uh, the wikipedia page titled list of states in the holy roman empire that's the name of the article and you'll you'll see have a look at the map right at the top there this is from roughly the time period that we're talking about and as you can see a total mess i mean it looks like a bloody kindergartner's finger painting and and like a and a bad finger painting too, like not not one that you you know not one you put you'd be too embarrassed to put this one on the fridge. It looks like looks like someone has ordered had ordered a pizza right with everything. They've caught up and said give give me a pizza with with the lot, and the chef has decided to use this as an opportunity to get rid of all the old ingredients at the back of the fridge that are you know that are going off. It looks like it look you know it looks like it looks like someone broke a stained glass window. And then try to put it all back together with super superglue, um, hoping no one would notice the difference. It looks like it looks like a drunk person convinced themselves that they would be able to hand draw one of those magic eye puzzles you used to do when you were a kid. It, do you know what it looks like? It looks like someone ate a normal map of Europe and then like spewed up all the pieces and didn't bother cleaning up after themselves. That's what the holy Ro- the interior of the Holy Roman Empire looked like at this point, right? In other words. An absolute mess, as I say. Anyway, you won't be surprised to learn that disputes over who owned which bit of land were rather bloody common, given the absolute state of the state of affairs, the way the maps looked. And that's exactly what's going on here. Ludwig III, Archbishop Conrad, they're stouching, stouching over their particular part of this, you know, messy bloody pizza vomit or whatever you want to call it. Um. Uh. And these lands, they'd been con- they'd been uh, confiscated. They'd been confiscated off a bloke whose name was, and he, again, just getting ridiculously confusing here. Henry the Lion. Uh, another bloke altogether. Not Henry of Hohenstaufen. Not Richard the Lionheart. But a different, a third bloke. Another another fellow. Henry the Lion. Henry the Lion. He hadn't been all that uh, helpful when Frederick Barbarossa had been off campaigning in Italy, and so Frederick did him for insubordination. Took his lands off him, and uh, of course, this led people to you know, start fighting over who got these lands that used to belong to Henry the Lion. Um, And and there's so much more to the story as well. There's a lot of stuff about, I don't know, like an anti-pope and ongoing conflict between feudal lords and church uh, landholders. All you need to know here is that these two, they're fighting over this like hill, basically, Ludwig III, sometimes known as Ludwig the Mild, but I tell you what, he was anything bloody but when it came to land feuds. He would fight with anyone, about anything, when it came to the lands that he controlled or that he wanted to control. And so when Conrad becomes Archbishop of Mainz uh, in 1183, this is the second time he held the position before, he starts to claim this land that encroached into Ludwig's territory. We see just how mild Ludwig isn't here. Because Conrad, in order to, I guess, protect the claim that he was making to the land he started building a castle on a hill right in the midst of this contested area. The ruins of Heiligenberg Castle are still about today, just uh, just north of the Bodensee on the, uh, on the Swiss-German border here. Um, and as you can imagine, this castle, depending on which side of the fence you're on, it's either a, a, you know, a protection of the, of the legitimate claim that Conrad has to these lands or it's a deliberate provocation to, to you know, thumb, uh, thumb his nose at, at Ludwig here. And Ludwig doesn't like it at all. The two blokes, they begin to argue like small kids about this land, And like small kids, they need an adult to step in and sort it out for them. And the adult, in this case, that steps in to try to sort this out is none other than Henry VI, who is, by the way, just 18 years of age. So, you know, goes to show that a bunch of squabbling nobles need to be put in their place by an actual teenager. Anyway, in mid-1184... The eighteen-year-old Henry VI—he's deployed to deal with this issue. He's on his way to Poland anyway. He would—he'd be passing uh, passing through Thuringia uh, as it was. That's just—he was just in in the local area anyway. So he he was able to meet with the two feuding parties without too much difficulty. Uh, Thuringia, in case you don't know, because I know you know any Germans listening or people who are up on their German geography will be thinking, well, hang on. If they're arguing about a hill near the Swiss border, why are they meeting in Thuringia, which is in central, the, the, in, the, in the central part of modern Germany, a long, long way away? Um, uh, uh, but it being a long way away from the land that was under, under dispute, utterly irrelevant. I mean, if you think it's weird that the Landgrave of Thuringia and the Archbishop of, uh, Archbishop of Mainz are arguing about a hill that is miles away from their respective lands, I will once again refer you to the map that I mentioned earlier, which should clear up any confusion that you're feeling about how spatial proximity actually factored into these arguments, which is to say, not very bloody much at all. Anyway, Henry, he makes a little detour on his way to Poland, he heads to Erfurt, right, Erfurt, Thuringia, and he invites Ludwig, he invites Conrad, and a, uh, in, invites a bunch of other blokes to a diet, which is spelt D-I-E-T, like, I guess, exactly the same as diet, um it's very funny to see things from the history of the Holy Roman Empire like the Imperial diet which was where Lords and nobles came together to you know debate and vote on stuff but if you read it as Imperial diet all of a sudden you know you can imagine a big room full of medieval nobles in their rich opulent clothing all saying how good oh, Atkins has been great for me or how they prefer keto over paleo whatever anyway this one isn't a full-blown uh, Imperial diet um, uh, like you might expect and I mean it wasn't a Imperial diet, either for that matter, it's just a regular diet, uh, a commonal garden diet, if you will, uh, the usual sort of one you'd have for a smaller issue like this. Now, the idea was that the aggrieved parties here, they could come together, they could meet, you know, have a chat. Talk it out, and there could be input from anyone else who had an interest in or was affected by the issue. And at the head of this whole whole meeting was Henry VI, as you know, as a mediator, as a neutral party who's in charge, who can say, "Well, you know, you got a good point. You need to sit down, and shut up, all that sort of stuff." Just overseeing the whole thing, and ultimately, if necessary, making a final decision. What's and what's going to happen? Now, unsurprisingly, a lot of people wanted to come to this diet. Um, not only were you know land feuds generally just good fun to watch, a bit of medieval Jerry Springer. Um, there's another factor as well that means that this one in particular, this this land feud, not only is going to be entertaining, but a great professional opportunity for anyone who uh, who arrives. And that the reason for this is, of course, that Henry's going to be there. Henry the Sixth is going to be in charge of this whole thing. It's bound to be a popular event because why? Networking, mate. Never mind medieval bloody Jerry Springer. Have it a bit a bit of medieval LinkedIn. People wanted to go to this diet and meet the son of the Holy Roman Emperor, the bloke who would you know, ultimately go on to succeed his dad in that position. So, of course, you want to go in, you want to get some networking done, you want to hand out your business. Well, I guess they didn't have business cards back then, but you, whatever the medieval equivalent of a business card, I didn't. I haven't done history of business cards. So, I, I, I'm at a bit of a loss as to what they would have used back then. I really don't know. In any case, you wanted to go to this event, you wanted to rub shoulders with the rich and famous, and of course, with Henry, this bloke who was obviously going to go on to, to bigger and better things in the future. So, with the Diet coming up and with all of these various nobles all clamouring to attend, uh, an appropriate venue is chosen. They the, As I say, they're in Erfurt in Thuringia. And on the 25th or maybe the 26th of July, they, they decide they're going to meet. At this, uh, at a church called Saint Peter's Church in the in the Petersburg Citadel. Now, you can still visit the uh, the Citadel today in modern Erfurt. It has a very interesting history, quite aside from what happened there in this story in 1184 when all these nobles arrived. I mean, Napoleon visited it years later. All sorts of stuff has gone on at the at uh, the Petersburg Citadel. But for now, we're using Saint Peter's Church as a meeting hall, as a venue, right, for all of these blokes who are going to want to come and have a have a exquisite this uh, this deed and get this land feud sorted out once and for all. So, Henry. He rocks up in Erfurt, he rocks up at the, to the to the church with a bunch of nobles, over a hundred of them, it's thought, including, of course, the two aggrieved parties, Ludwig and Conrad. Now, all these blokes, they head inside the church, they gather in a room on the first floor or the second floor for our American listeners. They don't have ground floors in the States for some reason, no idea why. And once everyone is assembled, the Diet it begins. And it's here, revered listener, that we have to take a quick toilet break to remind ourselves of the situation uh, when it comes to the facilities in buildings like this at the time in history. A comprehensive history of the toilet is, of course, readily available for your listening pleasure, episode 139, Get Across It. But let's have a bit more toilet talk today as a treat, and, and we'll chat about what the situation would have been like here. So in a, in a citadel, in any sort of big defensive stone building, of course, you'll remember that we chatted about garderobes robes being a big part of medieval toilet facilities in in you know big stonework buildings like this, they were little booths almost that were that kind of stuck out of the side of stone walls, uh, with a, with a seat and a hole that dropped out into the ground below. So it sort of, they sort of overhung overhang the, hung the walls that they were built into, and as a place you could go and uh, and, and drop one out and, and you know go about your business whatever else. Uh, very common. In castles and stone buildings of that nature, but not so common, of course, in churches, which is where all these blokes were. Now, this this church, uh, in a, in a from a broader standpoint, was part of a monastery, and uh, obviously, you know, all these monks—they've got to go and bust their grumpy somewhere, don't they? So, what was the go with St. Peter's Church? They had a huge latrine. This latrine, uh, I guess, kind of similar to the ones that I talked about in episode 139. When talking about the ones the Romans used, the Romans, the Roman latrines from the from the classical era, these are reasonably common at this point as well. Big room with benches, uh, benches obviously had holes in. You sit on the bench over the hole. You, you do your business. Uh, no privacy, no privacy whatsoever. You know, sit there and have a chat, and uh, you know with whoever whoever's sitting next to you while you you know pinching out your cheeky turds or whatever else. Um, some latrines were filled or were fed, sorry, with running water. That would whisk those turds away, uh, but that wasn't the case here in this uh, in this church here, and it wasn't certainly the case in all the trains. Many of them were just like this one, dug above an enormous pit. Now, humans are remarkable problem solvers. I think it's fair to say we are, as a species, just very good at uh, at solving problems that face us. Not necessarily in the most you know agreeable or sustainable ways, but we do like to solve problems. And uh, here in this situation with this latrine, as, in, as was the case with so many of them around the world, uh, the monks used a time-honored approach to solving this problem, uh, which was the old out-of-sight, out-of-mind trick. This human effluence was removed from their immediate attention by virtue of dropping into a great big hole. The uh, I mean, look, we've been you know burying our turds since the dawn of humanity. So why stop now? The this great big latrine it was built over a very sophisticated piece of human technology, which is to say, a hole. the The monks that go to the the, the latrine, that sit down, that murder their brown snakes, and in the end, it would all end up in this great big cesspool under the latrine. Um, and you know, sure, it might smell a bit. I mean, no one's no one's trying to say that it was necessarily going to smell like violets and primroses in there. But the saying isn't out of smell, out of mind, is it? No, no. Out of sight, out of mind, not a problem. Cesspits like this uh, were usually built one or two ways, right? They were built to be emptied out. There'd be people who would uh, come along. You know, they're, they're readily accessible, usually a little bit smaller as well. And these people with the unenviable but very necessary jobs. Uh, would would come along at regular intervals and uh, take all this uh, take away all this malodorous waste and deposit it I don't know somewhere else I mean you know again put it somewhere else it's not our problem anymore. Um, the other alternative uh, was to never empty the pit and instead just dig it like really deep and make it the problem of some poor bastard in the future uh, another thing we're very good at as a species problem solving by just kicking the can down the road and going ah i'm sure i'm sure someone will deal with it at some point so that was the situation there in st peter's church this pit, this cesspit is of the second variety it's large and in charge and does not design to be emptied out it's filled with years and years worth of only the very foulest excreta and so now of course you're probably already realizing how the story is coming together this cesspit is dug underneath the latrine and the latrine is built underneath the very room that all the nobles are meeting in. So when you hear the Erfurt latrine disaster, I imagine it doesn't take too much to uh, put together exactly what's going to happen next.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen
1: With over a hundred blokes all piling into this one room to air their grievances to Henry, I'm pretty sure you've already figured out what happens next. The timber floor held up by beams that were who knows how old, couldn't support the weight of all these all these, these blokes in this room. The wood might have been rotten, it might have been in disrepair, who knows. What we do know, however, is that for whatever reason, the structural integrity of this wood was given a pretty meaningful challenge when all of these nobles stacked into the room, and as it turned out, the wood was not up to the challenge. The entire floor collapsed under the weight of these people, but, say it with me, it only got worse from there, because as you'll remember, directly underneath this room was the latrine, and the latrine was a room that was built very deliberately, by, on purpose, was built on top of a huge gaping pit. Again, not really the best option when it comes to structural integrity. So the nobles all crash through the ceiling of the latrine. They collide heavily, along with all the wooden debris and whatever else from the uh, from the top floor, and collide heavily with this la- the floor of the latrine, which of course also gave way under the weight and the impact of everything that was falling through. And what was waiting under the latrine? Only this enormous cesspit filled, as we've already established, with years and years worth of only the very foulest excreta. And it was into this excreta that a hundred or so German medieval lords plunged, and for around 60 or so of them, it was the last thing that they would ever do. Believe it or not, 60 of these blokes actually drowned in this foul, stinking, liquefied fecal marinade. (laughs) I I guess you could say it was a bit of a bit of a bit of a shitty way to go. <laughs> uh, anyway. <clears throat> uh, 60, uh, 60 members of the minor nobility died just like that. They just died. They drowned in in this cesspit, but when it came to our three main characters, luckily for them, they all managed to survive. Uh, now Ludwig, he was unlucky enough to be amongst the nobles that fell in, but uh, he survived the ordeal. He was a bit banged up. What is incredible about his story in particular is that he got cuts and scrapes and scratches while he was falling and somehow they didn't get infected after he fell into this turd soup. He and the rest of the surviving nobles were, were res- they were rescued. Like they were, they were dragged out as you know, people converged on the church to help pull these detestably putrid noblemen out of the cesspit. Uh, so Ludwig, uh, despite having fallen in, he was one of the lucky, one of the lucky nobles who didn't drown Um, but as for Henry and Conrad, slightly different experience for them because they were extremely lucky in that they didn't fall in at all. Henry had taken his place at the head of the room for this meeting in a small stone alcove that was built into the wall of the church itself. This meant that when the floor collapsed, he was safe in this little alcove, obviously with its stone floor, it didn't collapse, and was left standing above the scene of vile catastrophe like a like an unusually reluctant olympic diver here and with him in this alcove was conrad perhaps it had been his turn to address the diet or perhaps he'd been brought forward for some other reason whatever it was he was also lucky enough to be in this alcove as well when the floor collapsed but here's the thing right if you i mean if you want to imagine picture this scene in your mind's eye here they're stuck There's no way to easily reach them or for them to make their escape. There's no floor for them to walk across. There's no way for them to exit this building. They're just stuck in a little alcove. They have to watch as not only all the noblemen struggle around in the cesspit below, but also just wait while others come in to give aid and figure out how they're going to rescue the king and the archbishop like two cats stuck up in a tree. No floor for them to walk across. There's a gaping hole, the depth of two floors and then some with the cesspit below. They're absolutely stuck. In the end, ultimately, they did make it out safely. Some Erfurt locals find some ladders and have them sort of set up amongst the broken floor uh, before Henry and Conrad can be brought down and rescued. But just imagine it. The future Holy Roman Emperor perched up in this alcove while his noblemen flounder about in a pit filled with, you know, noisome effluvium here and when he was finally rescued this is the funniest thing man when he was finally rescued Henry didn't stick around he left Erfurt immediately he was straight out of there as soon as he was taken down from this alcove he was like nah I'm out No, I'm not sticking around I mean as you might have guessed pretty safe pretty safe guess that the horror of his experience remained with him for the, for the rest of his life this isn't an experience this isn't you know this isn't something you'd forget about very quickly but at least he had a rest of his life because you know when all of these other nobles crowded into the church for some good old-fashioned arguing over land, just, you know, just exactly the sort of thing you'd want to do, relax and take it easy and watch people argue over land. It's one of the great pastimes of the age. I don't think any of them imagined that they were going to die. I don't think any of them thought they were going to lose their lives here, certainly not by drowning in liquid crap anyway. Um, Anyway, after this incident, the three main characters—they did—they went on to prosper. It has to be said. Conrad, Ludwig, and uh, and Henry—they went on to to lead. I mean, moderately successful lives in in politics. Particularly Ludwig and Conrad, they went off to they went off on you know various crusades. They, after avoiding their brush with, with death, they seemed to make the most of their second chance. They had very successful political careers in the years to come. While Henry, as as, as I said before, he went on to become Holy Roman Emperor after the death of his dad, Frederick Barbarossa. Um, and as we mentioned, he uh, was infamously was the, the jailer of Richard the Lionheart, uh, who, he, who he ransomed, and, and he was actually excommunicated by the Pope for doing this. But despite this, Henry VI became uh, essentially the most powerful king in all of Europe uh, during his brief reign. Not very, it didn't it didn't remain this very long, of course. He ultimately died in eleven ninety seven. He was just thirty one years of age when he was uh, when he when he died. I say when I was going to say when he was killed. He probably was killed. Many many suspect that he was actually poisoned. I mean, you don't become the most powerful king in Europe without making some enemies. So uh, he may have met a rather grisly end at the wrong end of something poisoned, but uh, we don't know for sure. Anyway, they say that comedy equals tragedy plus time, but when it comes to the Erfurt Latrine Disaster. I would be very interested to know exactly how much time had to pass before this went from tragedy to comedy, because I would suspect it wasn't very much. Chronicles from the time, um, admittedly, are very somber about it. Also very euphemistic. Um, Here's what was written at the time. Check this out. This this came from a chronicle that was written around this time when it actually happened. The King Henry was passing through Erfurt on his way to Poland and there found Conrad of Mainz, who was having a violent dispute with Ludwig of Thuringia. While he was sitting trying to make peace amongst them, surrounded by many in a high room, the building suddenly collapsed and many fell in the lower well, some of them laboriously saved, while others suffocated in the mud. I mean, they left out all the good bits, mate. No one got ga- I mean when when these people were writing these chronicles all these years ago, did a single one of them give thought to the possibility that almost a millennium later some tin pot history podcast would be recounting this story for cheap scatological laughs? No, they didn't consider that. and they left out all the good bits, mate. we We're left to to piece it together ourselves. We don't have all the grisly and disgusting details that we want. But here's the funniest thing about about this whole situation, about the whole disaster, the ve- the, 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 the best bit of the whole story, right? The reason this all happened in the first place, right, was, of course, the land feud between between Ludwig and Conrad, right? So that was the reason that they were all in this church, the reason they all got together. To this day, we have no record of how the feud was resolved, and it may never have actually been resolved. Henry left Erfurt without ever making a decision on the dispute. It doesn't seem to have come up all that much after this Erfurt latrine disaster. Maybe Ludwig and Conrad are just like, okay, we'll just... We'll just leave well enough alone, I think. I don't think we need to revisit this uh, this incident, do we? So, revered listener, a useful piece of advice for anyone attempting to succeed in the world of conflict resolution. When presented with a particularly knotty problem, just have 60 or so nobles drown in a pit of liquid excrement and that will just take people's minds off things and make them forget the problem in the first place. Easy. But that's it. That's all she wrote. Today, sports fans. That is the story of the Fertile Latrine Disaster. And I have to say, it is my very great pleasure to be bringing this podcast back to its roots. I want to thank everyone who gets in touch with um, uh, ideas for topics. Right? Um, I do read every single one of them, and I do generally research all the ideas that are given to me. Um, but if I could humbly make a request of the listener here to send me stories like this. I mean, it's you know, it's great to get across these high-minded historical issues, these important figures and narratives that have shaped and changed the world. But sometimes you just want to talk about poos and Wees man, on a history podcast. Sometimes you just want to talk about stuff that's weird or disgusting or funny. So I really appreciate everyone who gets in touch with topic suggestions. And please don't stop. But man, Doing episodes like this, come on! I wanted, I really want to do more of them. So make sure if you if you come across anything like this, please, please let me know uh, about the story. It doesn't necessarily have to be about you know toilets and bums and farts and poos and whatever else, but anything that is a little, um, a little weird or funny or or, or different like this, it, it is it it's the bread and butter of half our history. And you know, I'm I'm worried. I'm worried the podcast is losing its way when we're talking about stuff that's just so highbrow and, and important, you know? Oh, don't want to do that for the rest of the thing. Anyway, thanks for listening, of course. Boring housekeeping stuff coming your way, as ever. uh contact form there. That's how you can send me in the next Erfurt Latrine Disaster for us to get across. Um, and on Patreon, you can support the show financially, patreon.com slash Um Hoping to have a merch update, as I say, before the end of the year, uh, there's been people with different suggestions and ideas for the merch they'd like. If you, if you you If you've got... A, a, a hankering for some half ass History merch of a particular type. Let me know what it is and I'll see if I can sort it out because I'm in the works figuring out the next step with merch. Again, hope to have it done by the end of the year. Um, so uh, all going well, we'll have uh, the shop or our shop reopen. I'm, I'm looking into different options um, in terms of how I can, uh, you know, improve that. Because I'm, to be honest, like me doing merch last time was, there was a big box in my wardrobe what was filled with t-shirts and stuff and it was quite laborious having to deal with it all myself. So I'm looking at different uh, different ways to make the, the whole process a bit a bit easier, especially for international uh, customers and whatever else. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll, uh, I'll I'll be on top of that and I'll let people know. But if you've got any ideas in the meantime, now's the time to get it in before it's too late, before I lock in any plans. Um, but that's it. We're done. That's it. That's it for this week. I'll uh, be back next week, hopefully with more nonsense just like this one. Do hope you enjoyed uh, the return of Half-House History to its roots. Very, very good to be talking about this sort of stuff again. And leaving you with a question... I mean, there's no real other way to put it, just about poo poos. Why not? This one comes to us from Reddit user Blue Shadow II, who asks Why does rabbit poo always come out in perfect balls, while mine always comes out looking like shit?